1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank
2: of America and NA member FDIC. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable, ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show.
3: Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Lightstream and Chilling Tales' very own 2019 Evil Idol Competition, our fourth annual horror voice acting competition going on now exclusively on our YouTube channel. I'll be back after each of our first three stories tonight to share a bit more information about our sponsor, Lightstream, including a special offer they have for those of you listening in this evening. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show's about to begin.
2: (laughs) It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark.
3: Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about the perils of parenthood, pet ownership, and malevolent medicine. I'm Otis Jiry host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its fourth season, with a fifth soon on the way. My show is available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found. And tonight, I'll be filling in as host on behalf of my friend Steve Taylor and your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight... To help bring our frightening fiction to life our voice talents Sean Tivonen, Duchess Park, and Paul J. McSorley. All of them top performing contestants in Chilling Tales for Dark Nights' 2019 Evil Idol Horror Voice Acting Competition. If you enjoy their performances tonight, visit our YouTube channel and vote on theirs and the other entries in the competition. The first round ends December 13th, but there's plenty more to come with the start of round two on December 23rd, so check out our channel and join in the deliciously dark fun yet to come. Again, you can find CTFDN and the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube on any search engine or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation bar to see a current roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of their performances thus far. We, and the candidates, appreciate your support. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds Embrace brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight is both written and voiced by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 37, Sean Tivenin. In it, we meet a father who would do anything for his daughter. And I do mean anything. Without further ado, I present to you A Big Responsibility.
1: The little girl stood outside the door. She stared at it, fidgeting with the frills of her dress. She could always wait till tomorrow. No. She had to ask now. Stepping forward, she knocked on the door. Her small hand seemed to disappear in the shadow of the dark aged wood. She heard a voice from behind the door. Come in. She reached up on her tippy-toes to grab the handle of the door and turned it. The sheer weight of the door worked in her favor, and it swung open. She stepped through the open door into the brightly lit room. Inside, at the far end of the room, sat a large desk. At the large desk sat a man. He was going over papers, shuffling them around and making quick notations with a shiny silver pen. The girl marched up to the man sitting at the desk. I want a doggy," the little girl said, or rather shouted at the man. From the look on his face, this was not the first time they had had the conversation they were about to have again. Sweetheart, what did I tell you last time? He asked. The child was taken aback by the question. There was usually screaming on both sides by now. Um, you said that I... That I wasn't... Responsible enough last time? The unfortunate incident with the goldfish. Yes, and if you weren't able to take care of a goldfish, I'm not sure you'd be able to handle a dog. But, but, but tears were welling in the young girl's eyes as she sputtered. The man, who was now facing her in his swivel chair, creaked the chair forward and held the child's face in his hands. "'Here's what we're gonna do, sweetheart. I'm going to give you two weeks to prove how responsible you are. Getting up for school, packing your own lunch, being in bed by bedtime— if you can do that for me without me having to remind you for 2 weeks i'll get you a dog her tiny face seemed to explode in sparkles of joy do you really mean it yes but it's 2 whole weeks that's 14 days you think you can do it she placed her hands square on her hips her face scrunched in determination Okay. The next two weeks were tense, and arguably the longest of her life so far. She cut it close, but he never had to remind her. With the exception of having to intervene when she tried to make peanut butter by smashing peanuts and margarine together with a hammer she found, everything went surprisingly smooth. Daddy, 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 she shouted. Yes? "'The man answered, not looking up from his work at the desk. "'It's been two weeks,' she said triumphantly. "'And?' the man asked, seeming to lead the witness. "'And uh, I did everything you told me to.' "'You did?' he swiveled around in mock surprise. "'Yes,' she smiled expectantly. "'Hmm, I don't know.' I think maybe we should go for another two weeks, just to be sure. The little girl's face fell. Oh, all right. The man scratched his chin. Now, what was I gonna get you? Oh, I remember. A baseball, right? The girl laughed. No, Daddy, not a baseball. Well, then I was probably gonna get you a scooter. The girl laughed even harder. No, Daddy, not a scooter. He threw his hands up in mock exasperation. Well, if it's not a baseball and it's not a scooter, what could it possibly be? A doggy! the girl shouted. He smiled warmly at the girl. A doggy, of course. Let's get moving. Come on, to the pet store. Getting up from his desk, The man took the girl's small hand in his and led her out of the room. They walked the length of the hallway and then made their way down the stairs to the first floor. The girl hummed a song she made up. Once on the first floor, the man led her to the door of the basement. A small plastic sign reading, Pet Store, hung next to the light switch. He opened the door to almost complete darkness, save for a small red light in the distance. He flicked the switch and light burst from the large panels that line the ceiling, revealing a long staircase. At the bottom of the stairs was a steel door. Beside the door was a small keypad, a red light burning on its display. "'Remember, sweetheart, it's a long way down, so watch your step,' he warned her. Gingerly, he took the small girl's hand and guided her down the stairs. As she carefully maneuvered the steep steps, the girl thought about all the things she would do with her new dog. Playing catch, walks in the park. She hadn't even thought about what to name it. She was just so excited.' Once they reached the imposing steel door, the man punched in a few numbers on the keypad. The sound of the beeps echoed. The red light on the keypad disappeared for a moment, and a green one took its place. Smiling, the man released the girl's hand and grabbed the large handle of the steel door and wrenched it open. Through the open door, barking reached their ears. After a few steps, a smell hit them as well. It was bad, but the girl knew that if that was what she had to put up with to have a doggy, she'd get used to it. After several more flights of stairs and a slight drop in temperature, they touched down onto smooth concrete. The barking was much louder now the sounds of dozens of dogs all varying sizes and volumes the little girl was so excited she was shaking she immediately made a beeline for the first cage she saw and asked is that my doggy pointing inside the man laughed no no i've got one picked out special just for you he led her over to a section of the kennel towards the back "'Now, I just found this one, so he's a little scared,' the man said. The girl stared into the cage for a moment. After a time, her face warped with disappointment. "'Why doesn't he look right?' she asked. "'Well, I usually groom them right away, but you were so excited I decided it could wait,' the man explained. "'Is he asleep?' she asked. Probably. He's very tired. He had a long trip. Can we wake him up? The girl asked in hushed tones. Just for a few minutes, and then he needs to rest, okay? The little girl took a few steps forward and lightly rapped on the metal bars of the cage, the sound bouncing around under the high ceilings. Who, who's there? Please, I, I just want to see my family. The little girl's nose wrinkled in disapproval. Well, he doesn't sound like a doggy at all. The man's eyes remained warm as he pulled a small remote out of his pocket. No, he doesn't. Whoever's there, I'll give you whatever you want. You, you want money? I don't have a lot, but the voice was replaced by violent, tortured screams the man's eyes never left the cage as he released the pressure of his thumb from the small remote what are doggies who don't sound like doggies sweetheart the girl replied instantly bad doggies and we don't want bad doggies do we no only good doggies please i'll do anything just stop The voice was cut off again, and a reprise of screams was heard. After a few seconds, the man released his thumb once more. Only heavy, pained breathing was heard from the cage. Suddenly, loud, guttural barking was heard. The little girl clapped her hands as she jumped up and down. Oh, thank you, Daddy. Thank you so much. I knew you'd get me a real doggie. I knew you would. You're very welcome, sweetheart. Now, you go upstairs and pick out a leash. Just make sure it's a bright color so we can find him if he gets loose at night, okay? Okay. Happiness was radiating off the small girl like a space heater as she made her way towards the stairs. Past the cages of men in various states of starvation, barking as loud as they could. Past the men painted black, yellow, or brown, with fur painfully stitched to their skin. Past the large tank of water with the man in the orange wetsuit floating at the top, outfitted with makeshift scuba gear. As she put one foot on the stairs to start her ascent, she stopped she turned around and placed a hand on the tank, watching the decaying body bob in the filthy water. I'm sorry I forgot to feed you, Mr. Fish. I won't forget to feed my doggy. Then she turned around and dashed up the stairs. She couldn't wait to play with her new doggy.
3: I hope you enjoyed A Big Responsibility as written and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 37, Sean Tivenin. Up next, we've got another tale for you. This one, courtesy of an author who prefers to be known only by the moniker Queen of the Moths. In it, we meet a young woman trying her best to enjoy a night out at a sit-down restaurant. But, when her meal is interrupted by a tiny terror with an unusually severe temper, she may wish she had ordered a pizza instead. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Lightstream. You know, it feels great. Paying off high-interest credit cards, getting a lower rate, and saving money. Refinance your credit card balances and save... ...with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. You can get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with AutoPay... ...much lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 20% APR. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000 with no fees. And there are no application fees, no origination fees, no transaction fees and no prepayment penalties either. The online application is quick and easy. You can apply right from your phone. Plus, you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that when you have good credit, you deserve a low rate and great service, and that's exactly what they deliver. If you or someone you know is being kept up at night, not by the threat of what's lurking under your bed, ...but by the balance of your credit cards... ...or worse, by interest rates in the double digits... (laughs) ...and if you wouldn't mind getting the specter of debt off your backs... ...why not start by paying less interest on your credit card balances... ...right now, with Lightstream? If you've ever been in dire straits financially... ...and who hasn't at one point or another... ...Lord knows, I've been there myself at one point... Lightstream can help you too, like they've helped countless others. Just for my listeners, apply now to get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash chilling. That's lightstream.com slash chilling for an additional discount. L I G H T S t-r-e-a-m dot com slash chilling subject to credit approval rates include 0.5% auto pay discount terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice visit lightstream.com slash chilling for more information thanks so much for your time and for giving lightstream a try this month Thank you so much for your time and for giving Lightstream a try this month. Now that I've done my part to help uh, put a bit more cash in your wallet, allow me to cram another batch of nightmares into your memory with another fearsome bit of fiction. Our second tale comes to us from author Queen of Moths and is performed by Evil Idol contestant number 42, Duchess Dark. Without further ado, I present to you Tantrum.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I
1: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare. A leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: Let me just make something clear. I never get to go out somewhere nice like ever. My best friend and I struggle just to pay our bills every month, so anything fancier than McDonald's is usually out of the question. We'll save up for months to go on one of our roommate dates, so it's a really special treat. I've never been to the Lotus Room before, but it's one of those overpriced pop-ups around the city that everyone's been raving about. We just barely got a reservation, and I was so excited to go. We basically had the menu memorized before we even arrived. But the second we were seated, I see this mother and her kid like three tables over. Honestly, it kind of shocked me given the price of the place. Of course, I was mostly just worried about the child throwing a temper tantrum and ruining the atmosphere. I mean, look, I'm not a huge kid person, but I don't mind them when they're well-behaved or at least in places they belong. I'm not going to give you the stink eye if your brat is screaming in the middle of Chuck E. Cheese, but this is a nice place with no kids menu and a $40 per plate minimum. Like who in the right mind takes a little kid here? I tried not to look over, but Steph was obviously annoyed too. The girl looked about 6 or 7, so I thought maybe she was too old to throw a fit at a restaurant but I didn't count on it. It was just a knee-jerk reaction, you know. I was on edge, anticipating having to deal with another parent who just didn't give a crap if their precious poopsie was bothering the other guests. At any rate, it was relatively quiet so far. We ordered our food, and after chatting for a while, I pretty much forgot all about the kid. Then the screaming began. There was no warm-up, It went from upscale ambiance to a shrill, blood-curdling shriek. I would have thought the kid was being murdered. I looked over reflexively. However, immediately after that ice pick to the skull, the kid was laughing at the top of her lungs as she ran back and forth down the aisle. The mother, for her part, didn't even seem to notice. Totally detached... Staring off into space, so we all have to deal with it, while the mom just blocks it out. I looked around and saw that a few other people were just as annoyed, though none were staring as blatantly as I was. I tried to catch the mother's eye, but she was a million miles away. I waited to see if the staff would do anything, but I figured they weren't allowed to intervene like that. I remember a news story a few years ago where parents were outraged by a restaurant putting up a sign asking parents to keep their kids behaved. I felt like getting up and yelling at the woman myself, but I didn't want to end up getting myself kicked out instead. Now, before you all get mad at me, I'm not hating on the kid herself, just on the fact that this wasn't really the place for her. And honestly, it isn't the kid so much as the people raising them. Can't fault the child. So, I tried really hard just to ignore the laughter. Obviously, it's better than screaming. Loud and a bit annoying, but whatever. I didn't want to let it ruin my night. Steph had this super irritated look on her face. And I know she was thinking the same thing. But neither of us said anything. Our food arrived a few minutes later, and it looked even better than the pictures on the site. Like, how often does that happen? For a second... I was too focused on my meal to stress over an unruly child. However, I barely had my fork in my hand when the little girl started shrieking again. I jerked my head over and saw the kid standing next to her table, staring right at her mother and screaming in rage. Again, the mother didn't respond. Even when the little girl started knocking cups off the table, The tantrum escalated as the girl began pushing chairs over. But her mom just sat there like nothing was happening. I couldn't believe she was that passive about her kid's behavior. And I tried to catch her gaze so that she would know it. But that was when I noticed the mother's expression. Like really noticed it. She wasn't just a little spaced out. It was like she couldn't hear the kid at all. In fact... Her eyes were kind of glazed over, and for the first time I saw how pale and exhausted she looked. Maybe that's normal for a parent with a difficult child, but this just seemed. different. The sound of shattering glass made me jump, and I realized the girl has managed to break a plate. That was when a server finally approached. Maybe the manager based in the attire. I was relieved. And really hoped they just asked the woman to leave. It was hard not to rub her neck, but I turned back to my plate. Maybe they'd just leave without causing a scene. But when the girl screamed again, it was like a shockwave through the restaurant. My water rattled, and Steph and I looked at each other. I heard a strange sound, and when I looked over, I noticed the manager was partially hunched over. His hand was on his mouth. His eyes closed. As his legs started to buckle, I noticed blood trickling out of his ear. He collapsed, and I could clearly see blood pouring from his mouth and nose, too. Most of us stood up then. Some diners ran over to help, calling for someone to dial 911. I noticed people around me with their phones out before I could even reach for mine. But seconds later, the girl was screaming again, and all of the people who'd been trying to help the manager suddenly cried out in agony. Several of them fell over, and the ones who didn't were holding their heads. I noticed that they all had blood running from their ears, some of them from their noses, even their eyes. I stumbled back and knocked over my chair. Stuff was up now too, and we inched away from the scene. The girl screamed again, and several of the patrons screamed with her as blood gushed from their mouths, eyes, and ears. The rest of them hit the ground then. Some of them had their eyes open, unblinking, dead-eyed just like the mother. The little girl turned to face the rest of us, her face red with rage. I honestly cannot remember clearly what happened after that. I recall people screaming and pushing, rushing to the doors. Steph and I were just far enough back to avoid getting trampled as tables, chairs, and people were shoved out of the way. When the girl screamed again, all I could hear was ringing. I cringed and grabbed my ears. They were wet, and for a moment my vision swayed. I thought I might pass out. Beside me, Steph had fallen to her knees. I gritted my teeth and grabbed her by the elbow, hurrying to the exits as fast as I could. But when I got there, I saw people freaking out, banging on the doors and windows, unable to open them. There were people at the emergency exit, people throwing chairs at glass the doors weren't budging. My ears throbbed, but my hearing was starting to come back now. I looked over and saw the little girl crawling up to the level where all of us were huddled. Tables and chairs began to topple out of her way without her even touching them. My adrenaline was too high to really process what I was seeing. I just knew we had to get out of there. There were no other options. So I grabbed Steph and made a run for the back. I figured there had to be an exit through the kitchen. Though I feared it would be blocked too. It was better than just standing there either way. Once we reached the kitchen, however, I quickly realized I wasn't the only one with that idea. We met an aggressive crowd, pushing through the small space in a frenzy. And if we tried to push through... We'd probably be injured. When the girl screamed again, even from the other room, the pots on the stove exploded, covering people with boiling water. Some of the burners were still on, and fire burst through the air, spreading over panicked patrons. I froze, watching people burn alive before me, until Steph grabbed my hand and pulled. Together we ran down the back hall. It was a dead end but for the bathrooms. The handicapped restroom was the only one that was single stall. The only room that locked. We ran inside and secured it. Then put our legs up against the door from that position to make it harder to open. Of course, putting pressure on the door won't stop it from being ripped off its hinges and I get the feeling that our efforts are pointless. I tried 911 several times, but all I heard was a sharp static kind of sound. The screaming outside of the room was so loud, I felt like it was cutting through me. It went on for a long, long time. Steph and I have been in here for a good half hour. The screams have gradually died down. It's gotten pretty quiet. We talked about checking to see what was happening, but I don't think it's such a good idea, especially not when it's so silent after all that. Even if people had managed to escape, it wouldn't be this, still. I can hear steps, though, echoing down the hallway. Someone is heading our way, short, bouncy steps, skipping maybe? Steph is reaching for my hand I guess I'm done typing
3: anyway I hope you enjoyed Tantrum as written by Queen of Moths and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 42 Duchess Dark Up next we've got a third and final tale for you this one courtesy of author Jeff Sturdvent as performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number two, Paul J. McSorley. In it, we meet a surgeon, world-famous for performing delicate procedures other doctors wouldn't dare. Unfortunately, that's not all he's remembered for. Without further ado, I present to you... The Parker Express. One.
2: This is your captain speaking. I've just turned on the seatbelt sign. We're expecting a fair amount of turbulence coming up, so we ask that you please remain seated until the sign is turned off. We're on pace to land at Newark International Airport at 3.30 a.m., where the temperature is now a mild 65 degrees. Thank you for choosing American Airlines, and have a nice night. Norman Parker drained the watery dregs of his whiskey rocks and let the pebble-shaped remains of the ice cubes melt on his tongue. He checked that the man sitting next to him was still sleeping, then held out his hand to examine its steadiness. The Valium he had taken just refused to kick in. He should have prescribed himself a few more for the trip. He could have, of course, but he knew himself, so he hadn't. That's all right. There was always whiskey, A few more whiskeys and the stubborn pill would have no choice but to dissolve, wherever the hell it was hiding in there. Miss, he whispered, lifting a hand. He thought he was the only one awake on the plane by now. Through the dark, approached the baggy eyed stewardess. Yes, sir, she yawned. Another whiskey rocks, please. Just a minute, and she walked off into the darkness. He took a long breath and exhaled through his nose. Then he took out a pack of Lucky Strikes and lit one and dropped the match in the ashtray. The ads said nine out of ten doctors chose Camel Cigarettes. He wondered how many other doctors went through medical school only to find themselves on a plane every other day. Would have been an easier life if he had dropped out of that surgical program like he wanted to so many times. He'd have drank a lot less too. Here you are, doctor. The stewardess handed him his drink. He reached out to accept it willing his hand steady. Still, the ice cubes rattled as he set it on his armrest. There's no reward in any of it, honey, he said. In the end, this drink is all there is. She smiled politely and went back to her seat, Parker examining her posterior as she went. Maybe the Valium had started to kick in after all. As promised, the turbulence began. The man sitting next to Parker stirred and snorted, but never woke up. Parker envied the guy. The wave of relaxation had started coming over him, but he was nowhere close to sleep. And no sooner did he lay back and close his eyes than a hideous, skull shattering shriek shook him back to his senses. Parker jerked upright and turned to look over his shoulder, noticing others do the same. Murmurs of confusion filled the cabin. Then the shriek came again. Parker's instincts took over, the sense of immediacy instilled by years in the ER the adrenaline burning away all residue of drug and drink as he got to his feet. Oh my God, is there a doctor on board? Please, is there a doctor? Oh my God. But he was already on his way. The dimness revealed the figure sprawled over the armrest of an aisle seat, people standing around with their hands to their faces. The cabin lights illuminated, triggering gasps of horror and bringing Parker to a halt. Beneath the woman's dangling dark hair lay a widening pool of dark, wherein lay two gory lumps he identified immediately. Dangling their viscera, two eyeballs stared sightless down the aisle. "'Clear out!' shouted Parker. "'I'm a doctor. Give me space!' The passengers spread out, shaking and whimpering. The man sitting next to the woman was backed against the window with his hands against his chest. Parker kneeled next to the woman and took hold of her wrist. "'Ma'am, can you hear me?' "'No answer.' He felt a pulse, weak, but detectable. Ma'am, he repeated, nothing. Is she dead? sobbed a woman. I was just talking to her. What happened? said Parker. I was sleeping. I heard her scream. He looked at the man in the window seat. His eyes were wide and terrified. Sir? I was asleep. I, I don't know. Parker looked down at the sagging mound of dark hair, slowly supporting her neck He pushed the woman upright into her seat, two dark hollows staring back, eyelids lacerated and hanging loose. Parker's brain seemed to short-circuit, decades of experience reduced to worthless fragments. But this wasn't a patient. This was a horror. ''Help her, doctor!'' The woman sobbed. ''Please do something!'' Parker bit his lip, shook himself out of it. He was a surgeon, damn it! He'd seen worse. "'Bring me all the medical supplies on board and land this plane!' Whatever passengers weren't frozen with horror cleared away, rustling through bins for first aid supplies or running to the cockpit to spread the word. Parker gathered the woman into an embrace and, ignoring the blood and eyeballs, lowered her onto the floor and lifted her legs onto a pile of carry-on bags. From nearby seats, he grabbed blankets and piled them on top of her. Then he straddled the woman, gently tilted her head back, and felt for a pulse in her carotid artery. Her heart was still beating, but weakly. Again, his eyes landed on her face. Again, his brain seemed to freeze. How could this have happened? The man in the seat next to her hadn't moved, only sat stunned with eyes like two hard-boiled eggs. Tell me, Parker hissed. The man didn't answer, only continued to stare dumbfounded at the bloody mess on the floor. Unable to think... Unable to help himself, Parker followed the man's gaze. The eyes were moving, turning in their pool of gore, the optic nerves winding around like little feet in a puddle of mud. Then the eyes were looking at him. Uncommonly strong hands rose up from below and seized his shirt. Parker shrieked. He stared down into the eyeless face. I'm a doctor. I'm trying to. Shut up, Parker, she said. The voice wasn't one of a woman but some blood-soaked tone from oblivion. "'You call yourself a surgeon? You couldn't hold a scalpel steady if your life depended on it, Parker, you drunken sot!' Parker's mouth quivered. "'I'm trying to help.' "'You can't even help yourself, Parker.' "'Please let go of me. Let—let go!' "'Let go of yourself, Parker.' The woman's fingers found his belly, caressing at first, then winding and grinding like the blades of a food processor. The fingernails bit into the flesh, tore skin from muscle, muscle from viscera, so fast he couldn't react. The hands were inside of him, unplugging his bowels, making balloon animals from his guts. He pushed against the woman's chest, but she was up to her elbows in him, gore cascading down her elbows, falling in clumps onto her sundress. His intestines emptied out like pig slop. The eyes turned away. The plane was empty. It won't be long, Parker. Norman Parker woke with a gasp. His shirt was soaked with sweat. Are you all right, sir? The flight attendant was pushing by a garbage cart and had stopped to look at him. Yes, yes, I'm fine. Do you need anything? Maybe a club soda? Thank you. She nodded and walked by. Parker took a napkin and wiped his forehead. It wasn't unusual to have dreams of drinking. He'd had plenty over the last decade since he had quit, but never a dream like this. "'Bad dream, Doc?' asked the man next to him. "'Must be nerves,' Parker said. The napkin he had used to wipe his forehead was already soaked. He put it in the empty plastic cup on his tray. "'I never sleep well on planes.' "'Me neither.' hope you can rest up before the big surgery. Barker checked his watch. The surgery is scheduled for Friday morning, so I'll have another night to rest up. Anyway, being tired is no obstacle. I've been tired since medical school. Come to think of it, I don't remember working anyway but tired. Well, I'll try not to think about that the next time I have to have surgery. Nah, don't worry. We can do it in our sleep. Hell, during residency, that's mostly what we were doing. Now there's a comforting thought," the man said. At the hotel, Parker lay stretched out on top of the comforter with his shoes on, the dream still fairly fresh in his mind. It hadn't faded away like they usually do. Instead, it stood in his mind like some fog that refused to dissipate. I don't think I've had a dream so vivid since quitting the drink, he thought, and even those have been fleeting enough. This one felt more like an actual experience. He lifted his arm and checked his watch. He extended his fingers and let his hand hang there a minute, steady as a rock, sixty years old, dry for ten. Good for maybe ten more years if he kept his business in order, or, more importantly, kept his hand steady. By sunrise it was obvious he wasn't getting any more sleep. He made coffee and had a bowl of cereal for breakfast and went down to the lobby to get a newspaper. He sat reading, having his second cup of coffee when snapshots of the dream filtered into his consciousness. He set down his cup and folded the paper. After a few minutes, he got up and headed back to his room. He sat at the desk and opened his laptop and brought up the chart from the hospital's database. Rose Marie Friday, 37 years of age, odd-shaped growth on the pineal region of the brain, deemed by most to be inoperable. Need a rush job? Deemed inoperable? Call Dr. Second Opinion Parker. If you can afford the surgery, first-class airfare, and have the strength to sign a lengthy waiver, you just might have a shot after all. Ms. Friday, he read, suffered persistent headaches, sought medical treatment for sleep-related particularities. Particularities? The pineal gland is responsible for melatonin. Maybe the tumor was affecting production of the hormone. Only speculation hardly mattered at this juncture. On a whim, Parker put the pineal gland in his search engine and brought up the surgical database he frequented. A little refresher never hurt, even for a brain surgeon. And it had been a long time since he had been that deep into a brain. Or into his own, for that matter. The pineal gland, the theological third eye to the New Age nuts of the world. Parker clicked casually between whatever articles seemed pertinent but little more seemed known about the pineal gland since Parker's school days. From its secluded alcove in the center of the brain, the full scope of its purpose remained a mystery. Plenty of doohickey about it. He had heard a fair amount of it in college himself. Some was from an old professor of his, Dr. Van Nessen. As far back as the ancient Greeks, he had explained, the pineal gland was thought to be a mystical eye to see the unseen, a portal to some hidden dimension where higher awareness is accessible to those in the know. Van Nessen had explained the gland is thought to generate a powerful chemical that may be responsible for the phenomenon of one's life passing before one's eyes. He spoke the terms maybe and could be quite a bit for a brain sciences course, earning him the nickname Van Maybe among the students. A wave of exhaustion came over Parker He closed his computer and lay back on the bed. What sort of perverted dance was his own pineal gland doing while he had that awful dream on the plane? He had been drinking and smoking. There were ashtrays on the plane. What year was it anyway? Somehow he knew it was 1976. 1976, a medical student, performing well but wild as any young guy. Parker and his classmates sneaking into the medical lab, lifting samples of pharmaceutical-grade cocaine, drinking in the resident quarters at Holy Cross Hospital, Parker and the others arguing at 3 a.m. over who's the least drunk to take the call for the patient with a headache. What a way to ruin a Friday night. As usual, Parker took the call, drunk as anyone, only the best of the group at concealing it. He composed himself and knocked gently before opening the door. Inside, a woman sat on the edge of the examination table, bare legs and feet dangling from a paper rope, long black hair, dark eyes. "'I'm Dr. Parker,' he said. "'What seems to be the problem?' "'I'm Amy,' the woman said. "'It's a headache. I've had it for days. It's so bad, I can't even sleep. Do you think it's something serious?' "'Any history of headaches, migraines?' Parker felt a pang of annoyance at the woman for disturbing his evening. A headache? She should try a goddamn medical residency. Parker's whole life was a headache at this point. I've had migraines in the past. At least that's what I think they were. Never anything like this, though. Parker sat on the stool and took the clipboard from the counter. The nurse had measured the woman's blood pressure at 130 over 75. No problem there. He shined his penlight into the woman's eyes and watched her pupils shrink against the light, dilate again once he shut it off, a little slower than usual, perhaps, but nothing to cause alarm. "'I think I smell alcohol,' the woman said. "'Disinfectant,' Parker assured her, trying his best to conceal his annoyance. "'It's a migraine. Have you been taking painkillers, aspirin?' "'I tried a couple aspirin, but they didn't help.' Try a couple more, he said. With caffeine. A cup of coffee or tea will do it. The combination makes the aspirin work better. You don't need much. A little dab will do you. The brill cream slogan was usually good for a chuckle, but the girl was too nervous to laugh. You don't think it's anything serious? Nah, don't worry, Amy. You have a good night, all right. Feel better. Um, okay, the woman said. Parker hurried back to the residence quarters to rejoin his friends. He didn't give the woman another thought, not until a couple months later when he recognized her name on a clipboard hung outside a door on the oncology ward. When he saw the diagnosis on the chart, a black hole suddenly formed in his stomach. He snatched the clipboard from the hook and flipped through the pages. A vicious, amorphous tumor had wormed its way through the woman's brains, consuming her optic nerves in the process inoperable for certain. There wasn't a surgeon alive who'd be willing to attempt to remove this one, to scrape the sprawling, intricate mass away from the delicate nerves and blood vessels it had woven its way through. You might loosen the grip of those cancerous tendrils with repeated doses of radiation, but Parker knew it was far too late to beat it completely into submission. The woman was doomed. There was just no way around it. She was doomed, Parker muttered to himself. She had already been doomed when he had seen her two months earlier. It had already been too late to help her. Hadn't it? Parker checked the file to see if there was any indication she had come to see him that drunken Friday night. There wasn't. Parker hadn't charted it. He'd been too drunk to bother. The girl hadn't bothered spilling the beans either. At this point, she was probably too sick to remember. Parker hung the clipboard back where he had found it and checked the hall to make sure no one had seen him reading it. He took a deep breath and composed himself, brushing aside a pang of guilt. There was no way he could have known the headache was anything serious. Still he couldn't help looking through the little window on the door as he started to walk away. There she was, same dark hair, same dark eyes. Sightless eyes, he knew. There was no way she could see him with her optic nerves devoured by cancer. Still the eyes were open, and they were staring right at him. He had never forgotten those eyes, not completely anyway. He had managed to push them pretty far back in his mind, but obviously they were still there somewhere. It didn't take a psychologist to make the connection between the memory and the horrible dream he had had on the plane, but why now? And how had it been so incredibly real? Parker lay in bed at 12.30pm watching trashy afternoon TV, still exhausted, but no sleep was forthcoming. Not until tonight. His mind kept wandering back to college. That nutty professor, Dr. Van Nessen. He wondered if he might still be around, still living in the area. He typed his name into the computer and the search turned up two results. Unsure exactly why he was doing it, Parker picked up the phone and dialed. After several rings, a man answered. Hello? Parker was silent for a moment. Dr. Van Nessen? Speaking. Who is this? Norman Parker, I doubt you remember me. I used to be a student of yours, 30-some years ago. Norman Parker, do you happen to remember the subject of your final paper? Parker thought about it for a moment. No, I'm sorry, drawing a blank. Really, Norman, I thought your analysis of the dopamine-serotonin feedback loop was rather well done. Wow, Parker said. "'Your memory's uncanny, Dr. Van Nessen. "'Call me Harold Norman. "'If a man can't take his ego to the great beyond, "'he sure as hell can't bring his doctorate. "'And believe me, I'm checked in and waiting at the gate.' "'That sounds grim,' chuckled Parker. "'Nah,' said Van Nessen. "'Just a little senior humor. "'So, how have you fared since taking my magnificent class?' I'm a neurosurgeon, just flew in to perform a surgery at St. Pete's. That's phenomenal, Parker. I'm so glad to hear you fulfilled your potential. He sounded genuinely pleased for him and that incredible memory. Parker wasn't sure why he'd called the guy, but he was glad that he did. So, to what do I owe the pleasure of your call? Van Nessen asked. It's a pineolectomy, Parker said. I was looking over the charts, thought of your class, wanted to see how you were doing. I'm so happy you remembered me, Van Nessen said. Maybe we could get together while you're in town. Dinner, perhaps? Parker had been wondering about dinner. I'm free tonight, he said. Any place in mind? There's a great Italian place nearby. Just tell the cab driver to take you to Salatati's. He'll know just where it is. Sounds good to me. How's about seven? Perfect. It'll be good to have some company. Marie passed on near ten years ago. It's been pretty quiet since then. Sorry to hear that. That's all right, Norman. I'm off to meet her soon. So I'll see you at seven? Salatades at seven. I'll see you there, Harold. Two. 7 7.30 p.m. So, what's your secret, Harold? Which cliched answer do you prefer? Good living? Organic food? Van Nesson took a sip of Merlot, admired it, put it down. Four ounces of wine with dinner, but only four. Maybe that's my secret. Was never any help to me, said Parker. That why the seltzer? Ten years ago would have been gin and tonic with a Valium appetizer. Good for you, Norman. At least you set it down when you had to. Yesterday has no bearing on today. Thank you, Parker said. Tell me, have you maintained your enthusiasm for the pineal gland? Absolutely, Van Nessen said. Parker went into his jacket pocket and took out the charts. Van Nessen simultaneously took the papers and unfolded his reading glasses. Pineoblastoma. No biopsy performs? Tomorrow's surgery, Parker said. Deemed inoperable. That's why I'm here. They call me the Parker Express. The Parker Express. I like that. It's all I do nowadays. The travel is a pain, but I only work once a month or so, sometimes less. Short order surgery? Well, that's one way to put it. If you want to compare me to a fry cook. Van Nessen grinned. Expedited, I should have said. Parker chuckled. I've got the most comprehensive waiver of any fry cook you've ever seen. Many of my cases are surgeries no one else will attempt. Interesting, Van Nesson said. More often than not, it's a matter of pulling the trigger. I don't always save the patient, but I always save time. Give me an example, Van Nesson said. My last case worked out. A man's son had a slow-growing tumor around the cervical region of his spine. They had biopsied it by then, a very rare cancer. His doctors wanted to shrink the tumor with chemotherapy before having a go at it. The father came to me with ants in his pants and his wallet wide open. His son was worried about losing his hair, missing a season of baseball. You get the idea. So I arrived in Atlanta in eight hours, took care of the paperwork, and I'm in surgery an hour later. Removing that tumor was like stripping a live wire. He smiled with satisfaction. But I got all of it, every last bit. The patient is doing well? His doctor recommended radiation for good measure. I doubt they went through with it. All in all, I saved the patient his hair, but I cost his father quite a bit of money. So it goes. Van Nesson nodded. And your surgery tomorrow? Have you performed a pineolectomy before... A few, Parker said. All nasal. This time I'll go in between the occipital lobe and cerebellum. Have a look at the MRI there. Van Nessen flipped back to the image and nodded, studying it. Parker watched the reverse of the image in the candlelight through the page. Such a strange shape for a tumor of that region. The waiter brought their orders and they returned to small talk for a while as they ate. Eventually, Van Nessen picked back up the MRI. The MRI. The idea of it seems so strange to me, being without a pineal gland altogether. Do you still believe all that stuff about the third eye? Sure I do, said Van Nessen. Even though most of us never really use it, it seems strange to have it removed altogether. Like a door permanently shut, you know? I'm not exactly the spiritual type, Parker said. But what made you think of me? asked Van Nessen. An old professor never touched a scalpel. How did you think I could help you with this? Parker took a long breath and exhaled through his nose. I had this dream on the plane, the most vivid, horrible nightmare I've ever had. Maybe it got me thinking about my own pineal gland. Van Nessen nodded. You believe it was more than just a dream? A vision, perhaps? A premonition of things to come? I don't believe anything, Parker said. A pause. Parker lifted his right hand an inch or two off the table, checking it for steadiness. He didn't mean for Van Nessen to notice, but he appeared to notice. Do you want to tell me about the dream? I don't know, Parker said. Does it really matter? Well, that's up to you. If you want to talk, I'll listen. A contemplative pause. Parker drummed his fingers on the table. You know what it is, Harold? It's just that I don't think up things like that. I'm good with my hands. I can slice the cancer from around an artery. I can clip an aneurysm with one arm tied behind my back. But I'll be damned if I can write a poem, paint a picture, or even dream up a dream. I don't have a creative bone in my body, Harold. This dream, it doesn't feel as much as like I had it as if if it happened to me. Parker looked at his hands, realized he was squeezing two handfuls of the tablecloth. He breathed deeply and let it go. Van Nessen was regarding him concernedly. You're only as sick as your biggest secret, they say. You think I'm sick, Harold? It's only an expression, Norman. I haven't had a drink or drug in ten years, eleven this May. Maybe I was sick once, but not anymore. I believe you, Norman. He raised his glass. Parker took a breath, smoothed his tie and raised his own. They clinked their glasses together. To the Parker Express, said Dr. Van Nessen. 3. Parker walked into St. Peter's Hospital at 10 a.m., checked in with security, and took the elevator to the fourth floor oncology ward. The head nurse greeted him without enthusiasm. Obviously, she must have heard of him. Room 13 doctor left down the hallway, last door on the right. Parker thanked her and headed down the hallway. Surgery was scheduled for noon. They'd be taking her down to prep her shortly. For the time being, it was customary to introduce himself and discuss what was to come. A few pleasantries, that was all. Nothing to convey any certainty of the outcome. She knew herself that was impossible. Parker offered hope, but never any certainty. Parker peeked through the window and knocked gently. He entered. Ms. Friday? The woman's face was obscured beneath a mop of black hair. Long black hair. He approached quietly. Are you awake, Ms. Friday? No response. Gently, Parker reached out and brushed aside a lock of hair. He froze. The woman's eyes were partially closed, only the bloodshot whites visible from under the strained lids the malevolent force of the tumor having not only rendered the woman blind, but pushed the eyeballs themselves halfway out of her skull. "'Ms. Friday?' "'You don't think it's anything serious, doctor?' Parker swallowed. He pushed the old memory aside. "'What had her name been?' "'Anne? Amy?' "'It didn't matter. It was over twenty years ago at this point. Yesterday had no bearing on today. Van Nessen had given him that much advice.' The woman on the bed suddenly reached out and took Parker's hand. He nearly pulled away in shock, but he caught himself. He felt a bead of sweat trickling down his forehead. "'Dr. Parker,' Ms. Friday said, the voice a cancerous growl. "'Is it you?' Parker fumbled for a reply. "'I'll do my very best to help you, Ms. Friday. I promise.' "'You can't even help yourself, Parker.' "'What?' "'Thank you so much, doctor.' Parker muttered something reassuring in reply and hurried out of the room, positive he had misheard that last comment. It was that dream, that damn dream, still lingering around in his mind. You're a brain surgeon, goddammit, get a hold of yourself. But it was worse than that. His hands were shaking, and that was no dream. That was real life. Two hours to surgery, and now his hands were shaking. What's happening to me? Parker stood still for a moment, just breathing deeply and trying to calm himself. It wasn't long before that forbidden thought wormed its way into his consciousness. The one he had had to resist countless times the past decade, would need to resist countless times more in the future, but today was an exception, a medical exception no less. He had an important job to do, and to do that job, he needed one thing above all others, steady hands. Parker opened his eyes. A bolt of adrenaline laced motivation. He returned to Ms. Friday's room and went back inside. Parker picked the phone up off the wall and hit a few buttons. A moment later, he said quietly, This is Dr. Parker, room 13, oncology. Please send up a Valium, 10 milligrams. Yes, and please hurry. Friday is the name? Rosemarie Yes, thank you. He hung up. A twinge of anxiety threw a cloud of egoic satisfaction. It was medicine, that was all. He was a doctor, wasn't he? Who would know better than him? The woman was mercifully silent as he waited for the nurse to arrive with the Valium, likely sleeping. The hair was back over her face, a comfort for them both. He stood like a specter in the corner of the room, the woman in the bed like an ill omen. A knock at the door. Parker opened it immediately. A pharmacy clerk stood with a paper cup, accusing him with her eyes. Thank you, Parker said, snatching the cup and closing the door. Hesitating for a moment, he finally upended the cup and chewed down the pill. The familiar bitter tang he remembered from so long ago seemed to say, Where have you been, Parker? We're still the same. We've been here all along. We've been waiting for you. He walked out of the room, his hands still shaking but the burst of dopamine settling his nerves. He walked the halls. He sat on a bench for a while and waited, waited for the delicious wave of serenity to wash over him. That familiar feeling, the one he wasn't allowed to have anymore. But today, this was his exception. He checked his watch, 10.30 a.m., one and a half hours to surgery, one hour to start getting prepared, one hour to shake these incessant creeps off of his hands and out of his brain. Settle down, Parker. It's just your goddamn imagination. So, what if she looks a little like that woman in the dream? What is it? The hair? How many women have long black hair? Plenty, Parker supposed. Hell, so did that girl from back in his residency with a brain tumor. The one he sent home with a couple aspirin, only to return with. The squeak of a gurney shook Parker from his reverie. Two aides rounded the corner down the hall, making their way to the elevator. As the gurney disappeared inside, Rosemarie Friday turned her head to face him. She couldn't see him, not with her optic nerves gobbled up with cancer. Still he shuddered. His hands, his arms, his brains. You couldn't hold a scalpel steady if your life depended on it, Parker. Get a hold of yourself, Parker. It was only a dream. Only a dream. 12 p.m. All eyes on Parker as he walked into the operating room. His nervous system felt like a static-charged rug. Ten milligrams of Valium, and he thought he should have taken twenty. He didn't feel a goddamn thing. All he felt was terror. Relax, Parker. The nurses, the anesthesiologist, they were talking to him, but all he heard was the white noise of his circulatory system coursing through his ears. When is this goddamn pill gonna kick in? Next Friday, next month? Supine before him was the shaved skull of Rosemarie. On the sterile tray next to him, the bone saw he'd be using to remove a section of her skull, like opening a door to hell. Underneath lay all the darkness of the human condition. No different in his own head, he supposed, or anyone else's for that matter. But this was his stomping ground. This was what he did. He could handle this. Everyone was looking at Parker now. No doubt they could sense he was stalling. A nurse was standing at his side trying to hand him a scalpel. He hadn't even noticed her standing there. The clock said 12.05. Dr. Parker, she said. Is everything all right? Everything is fine, Parker said. How does she look? Terrible, one of the aides joked. She's stable, the anesthesiologist said. Good, Parker said. He raised a hand to accept the scalpel. The black hole in his stomach sucking mercilessly. He turned to the patient, placed one hand on her forehead, rechecked the x-ray, looked again at the woman's freshly shaved scalp. He paused. Time around him seemed to freeze. It was very, very quiet. Are you all right, doctor? The hand holding the scalpel was shaking, shaking. "'You call yourself a surgeon? "'You couldn't hold a scalpel steady "'if your life depended on it, Parker. "'You drunken sot!' "'I'm trying to help you, you stupid bitch!' Parker bellowed. Silence in the operating room. The nurses, the aides, the anesthesiologist. They all stood stunned, watching him wide-eyed from behind their masks. Parker set the scalpel back in the tray, backed away a few steps.' Stay where you are, everybody. I won't be long. I'll be right back. You understand? He didn't wait for a reply. He turned and burst through the double doors. There was no way around this. He knew what he needed. It always helped those stubborn pills to do their job. A little grease to help them go down. That was all. Just a little drink. A little dab. A little dab will do you. I know how this seems, Parker. He was talking to himself as he walked down the hall, but somehow it seemed wholly appropriate. But there's a big difference between a relapse and a medical exception. Any doctor would agree. Nine out of ten doctors prefer camel cigarettes. Ten out of ten doctors agree. A little dabble, do ya? He passed by two nurses in the hall. They slowed down and watched him as he went. He paid no attention. The absurdity wasn't lost on him. It just didn't matter. Help her, doctor. Please do something. I am doing something. What does it look like I'm doing? You think this job is easy? 1976 and a doctor can't get a goddamn drink? Parker pushed open the door to the supply room. A little dab. That's all. Doctor's orders. The door closed behind Parker and he laughed out loud. He didn't know why he did it, but it felt good, so he did it again. So what'll it be, says the bartender. Parker sifted through the shelves until he found what he was looking for. He knew as well as any talented surgeon that this wasn't top-shelf stuff, but hey, it wasn't the nicest bar he'd ever been to, either. Besides, all he needed was a little dab just to take the edge off, you know? Just enough to get that damned pill to kick in so he could get a hold of himself and do his job. So he could get back to that operating room and fix that lady as good as new. Like, she just walked out of the showroom. He could roll back the mileage to 1976, before everything got fucked up. He found what he was looking for and twisted off the top of the bottle and tilted it back into his mouth. He swallowed. He sputtered and coughed. Drink again. Drink again. And again. He checked his watch. 12.13 p.m. He leaned with his back against a shelf of folded towels, feeling the warmth expand in his stomach. It wouldn't be long now, not long now. I won't be long, Parker. Epilogue In unusual news out of Newark, New Jersey, notable neurosurgeon Norman Parker was found dead in a supply closet in St. Peter's Hospital The because of death, poisoning, due to consumption of isopropyl alcohol, better known as rubbing alcohol. Hospital staffers remain shocked and confused by the incident, which apparently took place during a surgery which Dr. Parker himself was supposed to be performing. Stay tuned for updates as they come in, and let us take this opportunity to remind our listeners to secure all drawers and cabinets containing potentially hazardous chemicals to keep them out of the hands of children and brain surgeons. As always, thanks for listening.
3: I hope you enjoyed the Parker Express as written by author Jeff Sturdivant and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 2, Paul J. McSorley. If you enjoyed the tale, please help support the author and indie horror by picking up a copy of Jeff's collection of short scary tales entitled Occupational Hazards The Blue Collar Omnibus available now on Amazon.com featuring several other amazing and often darkly humorous stories. You won't be sorry you did. Don't forget, all of tonight's performances were featured this year in the 2019 Evil Idol Horror Voice Acting Competition, hosted on our official Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel. It's on now and running the next several months. If you enjoyed the performances tonight... Visit our YouTube channel and vote on theirs and the other entries in the competition. Again, you can find CTFDN and the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Knights" YouTube on any search engine, or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation bar to see a current roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of the performances thus far. We, and the candidates, appreciate your support. We'd also like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012 and consider signing up as a patron at our website, Chilling Tales, for DarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, Lightstream, for their support of this show. Don't forget, just for my listeners, apply now to get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash chilling. That's lightstream.com slash chilling for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash chilling. Subject to credit approval, rates include 0.5% auto pay discount, Terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash chilling for more information. Thanks again for giving our sponsors a try this month, and for your support of this show. I'm your host, Otis Chiry, and it has been a pleasure as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week, when we once again turn off the lights... Turn on the dark. (laughs) Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Jai. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, where I perform four brand new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week, don't forget to hit that thumbs-up button to tell us how we're doing. Leave a kind word or a request. Don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?
0: (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your job's projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs,